what we'll be covering is what emotional intelligence is and what it means to be emotionally literate. What happens when we're defensive, why we get defensive, and what the impact of it is. And defensiveness is an outcome of maybe not practicing emotional intelligence. We can't stop our bodies or our, you know, our brains from being defensive. We're built that way. But our ability to manage defensiveness and notice when we're feeling defensive is so helpful to us as humans and particularly to you all as leaders, because you get we get defensive in work situations all the time. From Seven CTOs, my name is Etienne de Bruin, and you're in the CTO studio. Seven CTOs is a global collective of CTOs helping each other become world-class leaders through our peer groups that meet once a month, as well as one-on-one coaching and mentorship. We carefully assemble our forums with seven like-minded people who are at similar and adjacent stages with their companies. They help each other solve challenges unique to technical leadership roles. Each forum gets assigned an executive coach who leads conversations of emotional support and growth as well as holds space for difficult conversations we need to have sometimes. Check out 7CTOs.com and apply today. Mention CTO Studio and get a free strategy session with yours truly. And I truly look forward to hearing from you. I, I feel emotional intelligence is part of that. For me, at least, sometimes when you feel anxious, recognizing the change in your body, really, of what's going on and, and then how to understand it, recognize it, and then act appropriately for the behavior. Yeah, that is so crucial. I'm so glad you brought that up, Travis, because it's something that I underappreciated when I first started exploring this. Noticing an emotion and seeing the direct impact or noticing the direct impact on your body and the felt experience of it is a hugely critical piece to this. I would assume that there's also a component of recognizing the impact that that not just the words, but the feelings and the, the aura that you bring to a conversation, the impact that that has on the other folks that are receiving you know, messages that you're putting out. Exactly. So there's this big chunk of just self-awareness. What's the emotion, defining the emotion, how it's making you feel inside, like the felt sense of it as like. The barometer. We're, we're so lucky as humans, we have this barometer to tell us when something's up. So we don't want to ignore the feelings or think that they're bad or push them aside. They're just like the, the telltale sign for us. And then seeing, like David would say, so what's the impact of how I'm reacting and people around me? So this is hugely crucial to the whole concept. And what makes this an important factor in your leadership capacity? Why should you care? I'd say it's because effective leadership is about having relationships. And you can't have relationship without the emotional connection. Similar, I think it's when your emotions can rub off onto other people very quickly and easily that you don't yeah. realize you could have a down day and all of a sudden it drives, drives your entire organization down a little bit. Yeah. So just that. Oh, yeah. Recognizing it. What have you had that experience? Do you have an anecdote or anything where that you really felt that's what happened with you? I think there's been times where. Uh, at least I've recognized other people come in. They've been in traffic or something happened in a small accident. They're frustrated when they enter the office. And then they, you start dealing with them. And then you start getting frustrated because they're yeah. frustrated. And the whole thing kind of spirals. It's, it's making me think some of the forms when we first come together, we, we do our check-ins. The facilitator will ask, what's your one-word emotion? Or what are you bringing to the meeting? What do you need to clear to be present? 
And just going through that little exercise of, oh, what? I'm frustrated or I'm stressed. Having that out on the table is so important. Then everyone, you just like, everyone knows there's it's a barometer for things. And I think you as leaders doing, allowing yourself, giving yourself permission to like really ask folks, what are you bringing today? How are you feeling today? Is a really important leadership tool, just so you know. It strikes me that 20 years ago, there was, I think, like what, you know, emotions don't have anything to do with work. People should not be emotional at work. Isn't there like a divider line between emotions and professionalism? Sounds crazy as I'm saying it right now because, but isn't it funny? I think we're just, we're evolving to appreciate this. Any other thoughts about how, how or why this is important for your leadership? For, for me personally, I've, I've run into a lot of situations where I've had all the sort of factual information correct, but the way I've delivered it was not well received either because of something either the way I presented it or the way it was received from the team or the, the individual. And so having that awareness of people, people receive messages different ways. And so how do you craft it for your audience? And kudos to you, David, just for knowing, just for see, being able to see that was some kind of barrier. Like we can all be very armed with, we've got the facts. <laughs> What's the problem here? But you were able to see, oh, there's a disconnect. And that's just as important to address that as it is to give the information. I think there's this idea that as technical leaders, it's like table stakes, that we're good at our jobs and that we're smart and all this kind of stuff. The data tells us that what allows us to excel in these roles is having these softer skills. And that's what really can uh, differentiate us in our roles. And man, I don't know if you and I have talked about this, but I've started calling them human skill because like sometimes I think people think, oh, there's technical skills and then there's soft skills or there's important skills. And then there are these like lesser skills. And I'm thinking, no, these are, these feel like the most important skills. And I think you, uh, we have conversations all the time in our forums that your technical skills as leaders, those diminish over time because you have all sorts of people being the, being the hard skill folks. And so your organizational sort of team success is really resting on this aspect, your soft skills or human skills. We're focusing on the more difficult emotions of anger, fear, sadness, and hurt. Those are the ones that seem to cause mischief in terms of having this armor up. Joyful emotions are awesome. And there are times when they can cause some mischief in work. I'm just going to throw one out there. Positivity and exuberance. What might be, I mean, we can see why that, those things would be good. When might they, in excess, maybe backfire? If the company is going down and your CEO is always exuberant and kind of can see through it. Yeah, it can almost, it's like inauthentic, right? Or it looks like a lack of transparency or there's some disconnect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's tone, yeah, it's tone deaf to... The uh, what's going on with the rest of the people in your organization, then it can be harmful to the relationship you have with those folks. And I think that like what you and both you and Travis are saying, is like it can start eroding trust. Like I don't actually trust that my leaders really get what's going on here. They aren't really listening to me or there have some, there's just this like distance between us. What about relative like to decision-making? Like if you're overly positive or overly optimistic, what can you imagine how that might backfire? People may question how realistic you're you're viewing the, the challenge yeah again eroding trust eroding alignment in this in in sort of teams we want positivity and optimism but if you tend to be as i do a really optimistic positive person taken too far that can maybe be the wrong energy in a particular situation something to just pay attention to the much more 
trickier ones, though, and the ones that we tend to grapple with and create tension in organizations are these anger, sadness, fear, and hurt. In our room, we all uh, agreed that for us, the most challenging emotion or reaction was uh, anger. And then you've had a conversations around that, how that presents professionally, personally. And also it's different if you're dealing with anger directed at you or anger directed at the organization, you know, how you can address it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think makes anger a big one? It's easy. Yeah. It's like the first, we're going to talk about this and just say it's like the first thing. Use oftentimes, or I would, Sam and I were just talking about this. Anger is like the first signal that something's up, you know. So we're going to de- dive a little deeper into that. What else, David? Yeah, I was just going to say it's. It, we were talking about it's just a very visceral, yeah, physical response. It's almost all or nothing. Versus a lot of other emotions have a lot of different sort of shades to them that may not be immediately noticeable. But yeah, like when you're angry, you feel it. <laughs> yeah. It's very, it's super important to be aware of it and not resist it because it's telling you, it's giving you a lot of good information. Yeah. I think maybe we had a little bit of different take, uh, which is that there, there are mechanisms to deal with anger, to diffuse situations, to control it in ourselves, uh, notice it. But then we got into sadness and maybe some of employees right now who might be struggling and then went a little bit further into the idea of hurt and like how to effectively deal with like long running grievances and these kind of narratives that we and others might have around some perceived slight. That's kind of where we got to with what's the most difficult to respond to effectively. Like, how do you know what's in someone else's head? How do you pour cold water on these thoughts in yourself? Yeah. So good. Yeah. There are layers. And so you can see what somebody's getting physically like. I, but I find it harder to, to to see when somebody's sad or hurt. You guys are queuing up the next our next part of our conversation mm-hmm. very nicely because you can't always so so often unless someone is really in touch with their feelings, all they're presenting is anger or frustration or annoyance. And so, unless they're skilled and have done this, some of this work, which most humans don't, you're <laughs> thinking about this all the time. It's, it really can be tricky to get to those layers that Matt was just talking about. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the last things is that people shared how anger was, could perhaps create that kind of flight mentality, yes. like just afraid in yourself. Yeah. And it was interesting because I had slightly different take when angry is actually not a primary emotion. It actually is masking an emotion. It's a response to something else we feel. So I felt, and I had to testify as a person who formerly would get angry fairly easily, that when I learned that it actually wasn't anger, it was, there was something else underneath it, that diffusing angry situations became quite simple because I realized I'm not going to respond to your anger. I'm going to ask you why you're angry. I want to understand the actual emotion underneath it. You might be angry because I said an unkind word. You might be angry because you're afraid of your job. You might be angry you got somebody else got a raise and you didn't like, so now it's being unfairly treated. So like, it's not the anger, it's the no. underlying thing. So that was the one thing I think that like, for me, I was kind of like, that one's actually not that bad. I'd rather you be angry at me because now I know exactly there's a problem. Like, like you're yeah. having the flag in my face saying there's a problem here. We need to deal with it. Your ability to like, oh my, this person in front of me is angry. There's something else going on. And how do I, as a leader, suss that out? Or how do I, as a person, get underneath what's going on for me? And it takes some pulling away the onion. Yeah. 
what else did you discuss or discover in your conversation? The last thing we were on was fear and just some experiences we've had recently with employees feeling vulnerable and how to how to get out in front of stuff like that. It was like kind of over-communicate at times, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And what success, Matt, have you had at like encouraging that kind of vulnerability or like trying, how has that worked? Yeah. I mean, we just, we just gave a, um, everyone a survey recently it was like a leadership trust survey and just like mm-hmm. that for me it was this glaring sort of area where it's wow people are pe- feeling more vulnerable than they should in our organization and it feels like the clear answer to that is to communicate better the context of uh, the company and the situation and how much mm-hmm. they're valued and all that mm-hmm. stuff and i think also to the opportunity in these one-on-one moments right building these bridges with employees. Did you see an opportunity for that? Definitely. I Yeah, I, I think there's a few initiatives yeah. uh, I'm taking along those lines. I know, you know I get the feedback that some of our teams who do only written daily stand-ups feel really disconnected from the company. They love it, but they just don't have the context of what's going on. And so yeah. it's really hard for me to do like updates, what's going on and that kind of thing. So I've got someone like taking minutes and meetings now and we're going to start posting them to a Slack channel. Great. Uh, simple thing, simple fixes to make people feel more included. And I'm so glad you just, you, you brought up the, the vulnerability word, because I think what um, Eric is talking about, when you're, when you start peeling away the onion, the, here's the anger. And then there's this thing going on underneath that a lot of times people feel too vulnerable to say, I feel hurt, or I feel sad, or I feel embarrassed. Those are not easy necessarily feelings to feel. So you're either asking yourself or asking people around you to get a little raw with you. And trust, like Matt was saying, is so, so keep that. What about the physical sensation? Did you guys have any sort of like, where do these emotions reside in you? And why is that important? Well, with frustration and anger, it seems like it's like a full physical body takeover kind of thing. Um, yeah. I think what we talked about a little bit was, of all of them, I think it's the most easily recognizable when you're sitting yeah. across the table and someone starts to feel frustrated and you can see it. Their face changes, their their posture changes. And so obviously, in us as well, if we're starting to go that path, you should just assume that they can see it happening in us. And it's very physical. Yeah, which makes it so important. As humans, that's our, it is a telltale sign. There's also, there's a lot of evidence out there. Like I'm kind of an example of this. Oh, you and I had this experience at the conference where you saw my expression and you were thinking, oh, Patty looks pissed or worried or nervous or angry. Mm-hmm. And I came back and said, oh no, I was just so dull. I was concentrating so deeply. And it was important for me to know, oh gosh, I wear this expression and it actually may be given the wrong message. Sometimes people like they are angry and they laugh or they're angry and they do something else that looks like such a good job at masking it. They're so don't want to appear angry that they Something else shows up. It's a, you leaders have a big job. This is a lot of work pulling all this stuff out. But the, the important thing is the physical sense is sometimes that's our first sign that something's going on. I'm feeling it in my body and just recognizing where that is and noticing it. I was telling Sam, we had the anger iceberg posted at our dinner table through the pandemic. Like my oldest son was home from college unwillingly and there was a lot of anger. And so we posted the anger iceberg to say, oh, anger is a good sign that something's up what's underneath it. So you'll see in this diagram, like an iceberg. And like what Kevin was just saying, sometimes anger is like the first thing, but there's a whole lot of other stuff going on underneath the water. And what could it possibly be? I also bundled annoyance, frustration, being feeling peeved. Those are all sort of versions of anger. 
So what I'd like you to do, one moment, please, perhaps pay attention to this over the next two weeks. Just the practice would just be identifying, see if you can identify your own feelings, like and where you feel them and feel feel them in your body. Noticing that and just sitting with it. You don't have to do anything with it necessarily. And also practicing that with other people around you. And maybe inquiring, or you seem angry, what's going on? Or you seem something. Tell me about that and see if you can just practice this practice. Okay. What do you think? What do you think? Yeah. Kind of simple. It's supposed to be simple, but it's not easy as we as we know, because it just takes a sort of constant awareness. Matt, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I hope that's okay. As someone who is, you have a window into what's coming up. Can you talk a little bit about how you've practiced or what you've done to make your sort of emotional intelligence growth an intentional effort. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it started with uh, reading a lot of books. I'm really interested in social psychology and uh, things like that. And then I did think that the beginning of me really identifying where I was focusing with emotional intelligence was the workshop that you gave six months ago or whatever. And even mm-hmm. just so many things coming together around like noticing in the moment, not just with emotions, but just so much, just remembering to notice my emotions, notice the emotions of other people. That's just like this yeah, practice of getting better in every moment type of thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's been the biggest thing, I'd say, just having that awareness. Yeah. And I know awareness sounds so soft, like, really, that's all I got to do is pay attention. <laughs> It's like, why, what makes that so important? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's just focusing your mind on something that's really uh, beneath the surface, but so easy to, to identify in yourself. What's that little feeling I get when I'm starting to get agitated? What's the feeling I get right before I go into a meeting where I know there's going to be difficult conversations and I know it's a landmine for me of getting a little bit triggered or annoyed? Yeah, how do I prep myself better to to not do that and to, you know, notice when it starts getting welling up. And It's so key. And it actually is as much as we're wired, we are animals as humans and we are wired for this fight or flight response. Luckily, we also have what Matt is describing, a, our prefrontal cortex, which helps us be rational human beings. So just by going through those steps where Matt's walking into a meeting and just saying, oh, how am I feeling right now? What am I, what am I anticipating? That just that small act pulls you out of your your fight and flight mechanism. So it's a great anecdote. And it actually starts a process of not being at the effect of emotion and getting a little bit more, a little step ahead of it. So super, super crucial. So I think Travis said something in our breakout that I will probably take with me a little bit to think of is he brought up the point that you have to get the emotions out of the way in a conversation. So I think oftentimes we go into a conversation with all business, let's get this done. And so I may have the kind of a thought of, Hey, let's maybe assess the room and figure out if there's some emotions that could be blocking the productivity or creativity of the people in the room, depending on the type of meet, because I certainly know that in myself, I can think of a couple of meetings recently where I went in a little more pensive than when I probably should have been. And it took me a lot longer to get into the, uh, the creative mindset of being like, oh, let's solve a problem because I was more afraid of not wanting, you know, of the problem or how it might impact us or those kinds of things. So there was like a fear and you, it sounds Eric, like you eventually got in touch with that and it was, it, it allowed you to move. Yeah. Yeah. I just eventually had to say there's sometimes I don't necessarily, I would say deal with the emotion, but sometimes I just say there, 
there's no logical reason for this fear to be here. You don't have a right to be here. You need to get out. Kind of, kind of just say this doesn't make any sense. I'm, I'm, my kids hate it, but I'm big about walking around with. Does what you're feeling make sense right now? Because feelings are real. Which for a long time I was like, why are you feeling that? Because I don't necessarily go through those things. But then you can feel them, but maybe try to identify them and figure out if they're real. Like you're afraid for absolutely no reason in a situation, and it's like, why am I? I don't have a good reason? Let me just. It out the window. Like I don't have to attach myself to it. I can determine that it's just there and doesn't belong there. Perfect. So what you're describing is not being at the effect of your emotion, like not t- attaching so many thoughts to the emotion and meaning to the emotion that it just goes off on its own like wild journey and drags you along with it. So that is exactly um, what this is all about. I think to Eric's point there, for our team, one of our number one kind of team values is communication over assumption. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. When you assume, I assume they're treating me this way or they didn't respond to me. And, it, and it, it's totally unfounded. You're like, okay, and you start spiraling into this mindset. It's, no, it's, you don't know the answer. So ask the question How do you get the team to just say, this is how I'm feeling? I feel weird about this. Let me ask about it. Let me ask. Yeah, it's so important. It's just asking the question brings you up into your more rational mind. I, I really like the, the iceberg visual. Actually, I deal with a lot of anger in my household. And I'm going to print this out afterwards and put it in the hallway where we all pass by it between adult and kid level height. Keep it top of mind. That's great. When we first rolled this out, that was one of the biggest comments we got back. Is like, oh my God, this is so great to have with little kids or teenagers or whatever. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. We've got one in particular that she wants to get mad about everything. So yeah. I can see that. Yes. I, I was going to say, going back to what Eric was saying, like looking at what are the underlying reasons for the emotions people are bringing to the table. I think tying that to the little nugget earlier about how even positive emotions can, you know, have negative impacts as well. I think there's a lot of lot of areas where we could apply that and say, okay, you're really excited about this, but, but what's really going on here? There's, there may be a disconnect between that person and the team or whatever. Great. I think and one thing that I'd add for, for myself personally too is I find that when you're able to step into emotional conversations and navigate with that person to a sort of a, a balanced state, that sort of creates like a psychological safety with yeah. the end future where you can have more open, honest conversations a little bit easier and, and not be afraid to come in a little bit frustrated and talk about it. And yeah. Know that I'm not going to react to that frustration, that I'm going to bring that balance of perspective and help them navigate through that. So there's, I find going through those scenarios, Mm -hmm. if anything, deepens the relationship and the trust. That is so important, Kevin. And it's reminding me, I I can't remember, some big university, Yale or Princeton did a study on this. And even if you are in an interaction with somebody and you're actually trying to cover up how you're feeling, if you're you're nervous or scared or worried or angry and you're you're stuffing it down, even if no words are coming out of your mouth, we're so smart as, as humans at detecting like that inauthentic sort of thing going on that that in and of itself creates a sort of a threatening situation for the other person. So there's fight and flight going on, no matter how good you think you are, it's pushing the thing down and not revealing it. It has an impact. It may not be huge, but it's crucial. It is there. Yeah. There were some really rich discussions around the sadness, the hurt, the fear in our group that I haven't really gone that deep with. So that's really interesting. And we'll uh, 
keep my thoughts going. And this is a lifetime or a lifelong pursuit. And I'm just thinking it's so interesting with the different individuals. Like here we are learning about our human skills. So here's a different group of humans and it's totally different and totally enriching to cover this with them. It's yeah. not the same learning the architecture of some web search. I don't need that a second time. Thanks for saying that, Matt. It really does reinforce. We begin again every day. We begin again in every conversation because this truly, I think it's just this practice, right? Of of, of trying and working it through. Thank you for listening to today's episode of CTO Studio. This is a little taste of the many conversations we have inside 7 CTOs. In addition to our peer groups, 7 CTOs members are also part of Slack, where ad hoc issues can be addressed by the larger collective. We also have one to two Zoom calls a week where we go deep on specific challenges like brand new technologies, hiring strategies, people management, and expanding our influence and branding as technology leaders. Also check out 7CTOs.com where we publish our list of events like upcoming retreats and colloquiums in a city near you. Applications are always open, so mention CTO Studio when you apply and you'll get a free strategy session with me. Wouldn't that be fun? See you next week.